Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 21 Parties and Perjury. December 1st, a roundtable interview. It was a Wednesday evening, and John and I had just gotten out of the library. My phone rang. Krabs was calling me. I hesitantly picked up the phone and said, Hello? Michael, this is Krabs. I need you to bring your pledge pin, your pledge pack, your interview book, and anything else you have that's SIGH related to the fraternity house. Do I need my pledge, brothers? I asked, hoping the answer was yes. No, come alone. Don't tell anyone you're coming to the house. Okay, am I being blackballed? I asked, wondering if everything I'd done to that point was for nothing. That depends. You have ten minutes, Crab stammered. Okay, the first time that I recorded this, Crab stammer, I actually made, like, his real stammer, and then I thought that it was wildly offensive in listening to the recording, so I just made it a light stammer. I gotta unmute my mic if I want to respond to you. That's always a helpful thing. I, there wasn't really anything that you needed to respond to. There is... Strategic stammering? Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what it is now. Strategic stammering. That's what I was going to respond, but I was like, oh, where's my mute button? <laughs> when, when you have a good one-liner and you can't deliver because you've muted yourself. First world Zoom problems. I hung up my phone and a sickening feeling set into my stomach. I ran to my dorm room and grabbed everything. He said everything that was SIG-H related, except I didn't want to bring my felt letters. I only grabbed the things that Colin told me to, minus my felt letters. Because, fuck him, I wanted to keep my felt letters. If they were going to kick me out, I wanted to keep them. But you knew why they wanted the felt letters specifically, right? Well, yeah, they wanted everything because that was the time to scoop it all up. And I'm thinking, no, fuck that. <laughs> you didn't name it on the list, even though you said everything SIGH related. You just did. As soon as I gathered my fraternity stuff, I walked by John's room. I decided not to take the secret stairwell keeping the secret from John, and walked down the hallway towards the elevators. When I walked by John's room, I saw him sitting in his chair. He was eating cereal out of a massive bowl with what looked like a baby spoon. Only one piece of cereal could fit on the spoon at a time. He was shoveling away, trying to keep his face close to the bowl. I looked at John and said, John, the brothers called me to the house and said to come alone. They told me not to tell any of you, but I'm telling you now. See ya, bro. Imagine like a little baby spoon that can only hold one Cheerio or a piece of cereal at a time. And that's what he was using. I don't even know where he got it from. <laughs> I have a ton of those. I also have a kid. I'll be back sometime. Seriously? Let me come with you. I can wait outside. John pled. It's okay, man. You enjoy yourself. I'll be back. And then we can blaze. I said, not knowing when I would be back or if he'd be my pledge brother much longer. We were getting closer to the end of the pledge period, but I suspected something could have happened that changed the brothers' opinions about me. 
When I walked into the house, the brothers had some beer pong tables set up in a conference room format. Anders, Krabs, and LT were sitting at the tables. There was one single chair, six feet in front of the tables. When I walked into the room, they invited me to sit in the chair. It was ridiculous. It was a horseshoe shape of tables, and just the three of them, each of them at their own giant table. Completely unnecessary. It's all posturing. It's meant to like be heavy and like have gravity to it, you know? Yes, but in retrospect, that's what makes it hysterical. It's like, really? Like... Should walk in like did. that's what you did to posture. That's what you did to like intimidate. Yeah, like, adding space, adding space. <laughs> that's yes, it's a psychological tactic. Crab started talking. Place all your Sig H items on this table, Mike. I walked up to the table and put my items down. I sat back down in my chair. Why did you pledge this fraternity? Crabs asked. I have friends from the beach that are in the fraternity and they made me realize it would be smart to pledge. I didn't want to get in any more trouble off campus. I've made a few connections already, and have fun partying with everyone. And when I realized the brotherhood we share, I didn't want to trade it for the world. Do you think you'll be the right fit? Krabs asked, insinuating that I may not be. Absolutely, I said with confidence. Why? Everyone loves me. I get along with all of the people that come to our parties and I'm a loyal person who will never turn my back on any of you, past brothers and future brothers included. What have you learned about yourself this semester? Callum asked. That I can accomplish absolutely... Yeah, I've turned my back on some fucking brothers. Yes, some of them were not so nice. Yeah, I mean, shit just doesn't work out. Sometimes you don't click with people. You might be family, but that doesn't mean that your brother's not a piece of shit. If he's, even if he's family, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> people are people, right? Exactly. Anything, even when I'm ready to quit. I also learned that I am strong when others are weak. Also, also, if everybody got along, I wouldn't have all these other books on the way. and that I perform better in a team of like-minded individuals. Would you change anything if you could do it over? Krabs asked. I probably wouldn't have gotten two strikes in my first week here. Other than that, there's nothing I would change. This has been one of the toughest challenges of my life. What was your biggest challenge pledging? LT asked. Not punching anybody in the face is the correct answer. Definitely the physical stuff. There are a lot of good answers, but that's definitely one of the best. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With withholding physical retaliation is N not rage quitting. Yeah, but yeah, but with withholding rage and physical retaliation, I think is a good characteristic of a man. You can, you, if you know how to control your rage or stop yourself from hitting people, that's the biggest thing. Or to stop an engagement of a fucking fight. Yeah, I mean, keeping a cool head. I mean, it's, it's, it's managing your emotions, really. It's really what it's all about. Not, not allowing yourself to be affected by the stupidity of others is the first step. Because if, if, they're, if they're capable of getting you to the point of rage, if they're capable of getting you to the point of anger, 
then that's a weakness on your own part because you allowed yeah. that external force to affect you in such a way. Like, I can't think of a time, unless somebody is like physically like coming at me, I can't think of a time where I've wanted to respond to something stupid with physical, like more than anything I want. My, my, my go-to is like, I, I want to educate you. I want, I want you to be smarter than you're being right now. I don't want to smack you. I want, I want to teach you, you know? <laughs> Yo, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> never mind. I ain't going to lie by not saying anything. <laughs> what? What the hell is that? I was good with the eating side of pledging, but not so much the working out part. Krabs finished the interview by saying, Okay, Mike, keep up what you're doing. You just have to make it to Hell Week, and you will be on the other side. Do not waver. Do not quit. Do not give up. Come get your pledge items and get out of here. If you see any of your brothers, you do not say a word about what we asked you here tonight. Do you understand? I nodded my head, grabbed my items, and left out the back door. I walked by James on my way back everyone. to the dorms and told him, it's just an interview, to alleviate any of his stress. Yep, because of course that's what you're going to do, right? <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> Don't tell anyone about what you just did. It's just an interview, dude. <laughs> Don't even stress about it. Yeah, why am I not going to save three people from unnecessary mind-fucking? It's us versus them. Damn right. I saw Tony sprinting down the street a few minutes later, and I stopped him. I was still unnecessarily mad at him for the entire semester, and Nibnight. I told Tony that he was in for horrible hazing. He stopped running, and walked the rest of the way. That's... You're, you're hazing, Tony. That, uh, that's so, <laughs> so fucked up. Yeah, that wasn't cool. Dick move. Agreed. He was depressed at what he may be in for. I don't know why. He had such, like, a good heart. I don't know why I had to pick on him. Um, I think that we seek common enemies, you know? We seek easy targets, especially when there's no, like, when you're dealing with crap that you can't vent your frustrations about. Like you, you, you look for a target. You look for the easiest place to put it. Like I'm mad at this person, but if I express my anger at this person, uh, there are unforeseen consequences. So instead, uh, I'm gonna vent my anger to someone who I feel like I can safely vent my anger to. Um, if if James or Knowles had gotten caught though, pledging, I think they would have been the ones. How do you mean? Like just taking a step back. And then another step back, thinking about it, uh, I think that Tony got picked on because he got busted pledging, and that was like the catalyst and fucking up some other things along the way. If it had been either of them, then I would have picked on them. I get it. Well, on to the next one. On to the next one. December 3rd, Postulant Theater. During the two nights before the event, we prepared drugs, alcohol, and skits. We hoped that we could make a great final gesture to the brothers before Hell Week. We planned our skits while we were in the library. 
We only prepared a few skits, but we were confident that what we had in store for the brothers would be pretty funny. James got frustrated at us because he wanted to focus on his studies more than skits. I understood, but I was an all-night crammer, so I would rather study later in my dorm's quiet lounge than in the library. All-night crammer, aka one pill of Adderall, can read the entire book, walk into the exam, and probably recite it from memory, and then dump it from memory a week later and move on with life. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely pulled a couple of all-nighters, but I don't think any of them were exam prep. <laughs> I like I, I, there were there were definitely like like writing papers all night. I remember doing that a couple of times. We're like staying up all night the night before a paper was due and writing the entire paper. Yeah. And that always sucks, too, because like you can always tell when somebody hasn't ironed out their work at least once. Yeah, because you'll catch things. But, you know, then again, sometimes in the editing process, that's when a lot of mistakes are made, too. Yeah. Speaking from experience, I've probably put more mistakes into books trying to edit things uh, than I have taken out. Not a good thing. Got to find that sweet spot. Yeah. So they got haze for sale now. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Huzzah. John and Tony were the same. When the night finally came, we had Chippy and Eric drive us to get a keg and two bottles of Old Crow bourbon. It was great having brothers that were 21. When we got to the chapter house, we rolled. I don't even think you were 21. I think you just had a... I turned 21 when I got right the... As soon as I was in the wheelchair. Okay. I was going to say, it I think like, you guys it just was had that fakes. Same, <laughs> that same month, I turned 21. Okay. Hold the keg into the main party room. Yo, what a terrible time to turn 21. Yeah, dude. You want to know how much that sucked? <laughs> Just, I was well, going to well, let look, the story was, keep going, but I'm like, oh, it, this sucks. It was a double-edged sword, and let me tell you why. Uh, you know how you know how uh, accommodating bars will be if you get there and you're in a wheelchair? Uh, you don't get cut off. People will buy... You're in a college town. Everyone's buying the kid in the wheelchair drinks. Uh, I got wheeled out of the bar next to the 7-Eleven. So many times <laughs> in, in such, and I was only in the wheelchair for a month. So that's the pro. And then the con is everybody buying you drinks eventually fills up your bladder and you got to go to the bathroom in a wheelchair. Oh man, there, there's, that was not a thing. There was definitely one time going into, into the bar where I got like dumped out of the wheelchair and that was excruciating. They, oh. they gave me a, they gave me a bunch of free booze. I, you know, like I had three pins and a rod in my leg. And like I was fresh off that surgery in the wheelchair, just at the so bar in the most likely place to get hurt by a random stranger. Oh my God, it was, and you know there was no like handicapped entrance to that place <laughs> at all. So so like they had to carry me upstairs to get me in there. Oh man, it was just like my apartment where you guys had to carry me upstairs yeah. to get me into my apartment. But that was only a month. True. Um, the uh, the next month on the walker, that was the fun time because you know. I'm, 21 years old walking around on a walker i've got benjamin button disease <laughs> <laughs> oh. we had a bag of pot for everyone to smoke too we borrowed chippy's gravity bong 
and set it up on the bar. We were so proud that we were able to give the brothers a tribute that didn't turn out to be a complete failure. With all the party favors in place and a stripper on her way, brothers started coming over to the house to get wasted. When enough brothers were in the house, they demanded we present our skits before the stripper showed up. The objective of each skit was not to have to use any of the brothers' names and have them guess who we were. We quickly dashed into the kitchen and went over what little material we had prepared in the library two nights before. We came out of the kitchen and presented a few different skits. Our first skit was about Patrick O'Connor being extremely flamboyant and always requesting we do questionably homoerotic things while hazing us. Nothing was off limits. <laughs> I'm just laughing and I I'm, I'm feel like this was the best skit. O'Connor was a big target of ours too for, for pledge paybacks. Because of just flamboyant things he made you guys no, do. No, no, not, not that at all. No, he was a big target of ours because for us, he was a nib. So like he he was fresh off of pledging, so like he was ready to give it right back out. So so he was particularly particularly rough on us. Uh, he definitely we definitely returned a nice bath. We definitely returned some some dog food meals to him. But he took it like a champ, man. He knew it was coming, and he took it like a champ. When uh, <laughs> we'll get into it later on in the book, I'm sure. But when pl the pledge payback story comes, well, I'll go a little bit more into detail. Oh, awesome! Of, uh, of our capture of uh, O'Connor. <laughs> I can't wait. Put a footnote in this one because we got to come ca back to it. Don't forget ca ca capturing O'Connor. Yes. <laughs> So we made skits about Forrest and Kyle being coked up every time they hazed us in the basement. During the skit, we said, we'll be back in two minutes, and we'd pretend to do lines. After we blew fake lines, we'd come back and start yelling. We focused on how Kyle always barked like a dog or was trying to bark like DMX. We made Kyle sound like he was an idiot or a chihuahua. After we were done making fun of Kyle, we made fun of Forrest more. We highlighted how Forrest thought he was the most important guy in the fraternity, but never came to any of the events. We said from what we saw, he only came out when cocaine was involved. In our next skit, we made fun of the way Krabs dressed, and that he never showed up to our parties or events either. Oh, look at me. I'm the only one wearing dress clothes at this anything-but-clothes party. What was that? I shouldn't be wearing clothes? I didn't get the memo. Oh, and did I mention? I'm the president of the fraternity. Well, just on campus. Off campus, Zeke's the real shock caller. I talk to the Interfraternal Council as the acting president of the fraternity, but I don't run anything here. Zeke does. Can anyone guess who I am? Colin Rabs. You know what's so funny about him is uh, we, we, are, we used to joke that he, you know, as soon as he became mm -hmm. president of the fraternity, that he pledged another one. Damn. Like that's why that's why he didn't come to any of the parties is because oh yeah because he's pledging that other fraternity now the one that he hangs out with all the time <laughs> true um in the up but he was book... he was a super social dude yeah absolutely I was definitely gonna... definitely was good as the president was functional as the president had good campus relations. As long as you were doing cocaine, you had good campus relations. <laughs> Seriously. 
with the leaders of other yeah exactly because then you're just chatting all night you're just talking you're just chatting planet 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 mixers planet mixers and we could do we could do a pirates and and wenches mixer and we could do a a business hose and ceos mixer and And that's like one percent of the conversation then the other 99 percent is like a life story about like one moment in time (laughs) soul talk i was gonna say in the upcoming book he owes somebody money and they come into his house and they take a bunch of his clothes and they're walking across they're walking across his lawn and everybody's watching because it's Radford so everybody's like outside watching this go down and he's like you tell Colin Rabs if he wants his fucking clothes that he'll pay me for my drugs (laughs) oh wow oh that'll be a good one I mean, I pretty much just spoiled the whole story, that little one, but that's one of the ones in one of the upcoming books. One of the good ones. The room roared in laughter, and they all guessed crabs. Many brothers interrupted and guessed crabs during our skit, but they let us continue because the truth was hilarious to them. We finished making fun of crabs with a final insult. Do you want to know why I never pick up my phone? Cocaine! The room fell silent. We had crossed the line. This was the third brother we had made fun of for cocaine use. It's like some people thought that the rest of the world was oblivious when they'd sneak into a bathroom with a group of people and come out with head colds. I think that a lot of the brothers thought as freshmen we'd never be smart enough to see through some of their facades. After the room was ready for more skits. Yeah, uh, it was definitely made very clear to us in our when we were pledging, like that is something that is not we don't mess with it. Yeah. Um, and w- now we knew that there were people that did. Uh, obviously, um, but you know, our RPE, our um, <clears throat> postal educator. Yeah. Our our gu- our guide through pledging was very clear about. Look, you know, there's a couple of brothers that do this. Um, it is not okay. It's not sanctioned by the fraternity. It is what it is. You know, we don't tell people how to live their lives, but you know, don't get into it. It's a slippery slope and yada, yada, yada. Ours was like studio 54. And in, you know, in, uh, well, in, in, in half a year you know, after funny, you pledged. What's funny is like afterwards, like I found out, you know, on the other side that even our, even our, our PE was, uh, using blow. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, he you know, even though even though he was doing it, he was at least responsible enough to tell us like like this isn't this is taboo. You know, this isn't this isn't cool, this is taboo. It's frowned upon. Yep. That's all I got to say about that. We made a skit about Zeke being the literal godfather of the university. We acted out scenes from the Godfather to best portray him. After we complimented Zeke, because you don't fuck with the Godfather, we made a skit about Doug. Doug was always saying, fuck Sig H, in a failed attempt to overshadow the fact he tried to fuck every sweetheart in it. He was successful with one sweetheart, but that was all. Next we made skits about the angry nibs, Chippy and Eric. We poked fun at how angry Chippy always was at us. He was the angriest, white Rastafarian we knew. We made fun of Eric because he expected everyone to take care of him while 
I love that I'm so. How are you going to? How are you going to? How are you going to interrupt right in the middle of making fun of me? Because because <laughs> I was going to say this. I love that I'm so white that when I say white Rastafarian, it almost sounds racist. <laughs> like me just saying that sounds right. Ra- he was a white Rastafarian. What does that matter, Michael? <laughs> His femur was broken. Then we pretended to do a fuck ton of pain pills, like he had been doing. This is when we started to run out of material. Sick burn, bro. You got any retorts for that one? Oh, the uh, book of Mike. I would say it's funny because it's true. Yeah. Uh, see, I because of my broken leg, and, and this is this is this is the problem in American society. Like, they were over prescribing painkillers. That was a thing. There was a time in American society where like painkillers were being like irresponsibly over prescribed. That's true. Um, and, and you get hooked on them. And that's what happens because they're narcotics and they're powerful and they make you feel a certain kind of way or make you don't feel a certain kind of way. And uh, yeah, I had a, I coming off that broken leg. I definitely I did. I, I wasn't so I didn't care so much about the drinking. It, it was <laughs> party on Garth. Yeah, it was the pills that were my adventure. Glad I uh, glad I eventually kicked that habit. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Being called out by some 18-year-old pledges. Yeah. The brothers became angry and sent us back to the kitchen to brainstorm ideas for more skits. When we came back into the room, we started making fun of Forrest again. Really in our heads, we're like, where is this girl? You're crushing. You're crushing because you're pissing people off. That's what's. That's what the best part is. Is that you're you're roasting the guys, and the fact that you're making them mad, you know that there's other brothers that are like, oh, like. that's exactly how it was. <laughs> Everybody would be like that. Oh, but except the one guy would be like, oh, you motherfucker! Oh, so mad. You, you guys are gonna. You gotta be hating it now. You're gonna yep. be hating it now. And then systematically, it's like almost every single one so far. So we're like, oh, this isn't going well. You gotta you gotta be strategic with who you're gonna rip on. We pretended to be a brother that was so pussy whipped by his girlfriend that he had to ruin everyone else's chances of getting any action. The example I used was when he wouldn't let me leave to fuck Hannah on Halloween when I was dressed in the penis suit. Man, I know it's like twenty years later, but that would have made the best story ever and that <laughs> motherfucker ruined it. I still haven't forgiven him. I mean, I've forgiven him, but the story would have been amazing. So there I am in her apartment, and I haven't even taken the balls off my feet yet, and I'm fucking her through the penis costume. A giant dick with a dick. Or if you went down on them and you were dressed in the penis costume. That would look hilarious. Yes, because then the because the tip was so big, it would have been right in her face. It would have been like a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> He was the guy that had to always leave parties because his girlfriend was never having a good time. He'd brag to us whenever he got the opportunity to have sex with her, because it happened on such rare occasions, he felt the need to let the world know. It didn't take the brothers long to guess that the skit was about Forrest. We couldn't leave Carl Kaiser out, so of course, we had a skit where we pretended to fuck a Kaiser. Who warms up a Kaiser in a microwave to fuck it? We had to make fun of the guy for that. It was as close to American pie as it gets, next to sticking your dink in an actual pie. In our next skit, 
we made fun of how much pot Chippy and Carl smoked. They were the true burnouts of Sig Age, and with how much hemp went through them, they could have built a ship. Finally, we finished with a skit of Chippy knocking down Carl's door earlier in the semester in a drunken fit of rage. We made fun of how the old broken... Do you remember that? Chippy punching down Carl Kaiser's door because he wouldn't open it up one night? I don't remember that. Is that in the, the chapter house? Uh, That was in L LT's house. It was the White House beside the paper factory. Oh, yeah. And it was the uh, back. <laughs> you come through the back door, and then he broke down that next door. And that house. That's the house that uh, I got knocked out at, and they threw the kid off the back porch. They threw him over the balcony off the back porch. Yeah, I'm not proud of as many fights as I've gotten in that house. That's also the house that I told you about the lip story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, with with that with that, I got knocked out because there was some kid acting like an ass, and uh, <laughs> he he went to he was getting ejected from the party, and he went to swing at the brother that told him it was time to go, and and I wasn't paying attention. The brother dodged out the way, and I caught the punch in the face, and uh, I went down. Um, and when I get back up, you know they had already. You know, all the brothers saw that happen. I got hit, and I went down. And I was like, "Nope, that's not okay." <laughs> and uh, and they uh, they grabbed him and brought him about out the back door and threw him off the back porch over the uh, over the balcony <laughs> off the back porch. And I mean, it was only like a six foot drop. It wasn't like a big drop, but you're but making still. you're underestimating it though. It was six feet, but then there was the other three feet to the fucking cement drive, so it was like a nine or ten foot nine drop. nine feet. Okay, yeah. so yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah, you know enough but to yeah, give this. somebody brain trauma. So I'm just gonna hit play on this. <laughs> Door sat outside Carl's bedroom because he was too cheap to have it fixed right away. We had a great time being able to improv the way that we thought the brothers acted in front of us. They finally got to see what faults we saw in them, because they were all far from perfect. The brothers thought most of our material was awesome up to that point, but then we ran out of skit ideas. We started making fun of the brothers that couldn't get any pussy during the semester. They didn't think it was funny, and made us do tripods. We were saved when the stripper and her female guardian showed up around 9.30pm. By that time, we'd gone back to the kitchen two or three times to try and appease the brothers with more skits. At that moment, I knew how court gestures felt back in the days of empirical tyrannies. Yeah, except for, you know, you didn't have the threat of death looming over your Yes, head. instead it was just a braiding of, What are you doing? This sucks! It was, it was honestly like going up on stage to purposely bomb in comedy. Yeah. To elicit kinda, yeah. a terrible response, right? Yeah, that, that's a good, good summation. We were doing air chairs and tripods until she showed up. It made us mad that we were getting hazed. We were the hosts, and we weren't supposed to be the bitches. We were paying Ashley to take the heat off of us. <laughs> in no other situation would you, unless you're into like some S and M shit or submission kind of deals. <laughs> in no other situation would you be paying four or five hundred bucks to be doing air chairs and drive pods. 
maybe if you had a personal trainer. Yeah, but well, you all have also bought party favors and all these other things, and you're hosting a party. When she was ready, we put on some music, and the real fun began. Ashley started her dance very awkwardly and continued dancing for a good 20 to 30 minutes. She started to feel uncomfortable because she was sober and tried to back out of the whole thing. We and I don't want that to sound rude when I say because she was sober. It's just most humans are not comfortable getting in front of people, first of all. Public speaking is ahead of death. And then secondly, most people are not good dancers. Moreover, most people are not good strip dancers. I think you need to be both, right? So without a little liquid courage, it's tough. It's tough to get up in front of people. Yeah, I can see, yeah. And ladies, it's tougher for guys because we got to get some other things working and proper blood flow and alcohol can restrict said blood flow. So then you're taking pills on top of that to make sure that things are up to snuff, if you know what I mean, while you're on stage. Emphasis on the up. We took her and her friend into the kitchen and told them that we had a deal. We said we wouldn't pay Ashley if she didn't stay. The conversation became somewhat volatile and almost went down the wrong road. <laughs> this is one of the only... T- Actually, I take it back. This is one of the few times in my life where I was in like a pimp situation like this. And I'm like, whoa, ladies. If you leave, we're not giving you any money. You get back in there and you take off your fucking top. <laughs> Jesus. When Noel started yelling, we calmed Noel's down first and then proceeded to negotiate with the stripper. We convinced Ashley to hang out for a bit and drink to loosen up. After that, she could dance and it would be a lot easier after a drink or two. We poured her and her friends some beer so that they could enjoy themselves a little more. When we returned to the living room, everyone was smoking weed. We offered Ashley some, and she said she didn't smoke weed, but her friend did. Since everyone was smoking weed in the living room, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing to get her and her friend to both indulge. You know, when her friend gets that joint or gets that bong or gets that gravity, and then she's like, your turn! It's it's a lot less aggressive. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Eventually, we put the music back on and let the beer and weed-filled stripper do some work. She ripped off her shirt and started dancing for everyone. She was really into it this time around, which made the dancing extremely sexy. Everyone was there to have a good time. All the guys knew that the more friendly they got with Ashley, the better their experience would be. What's that movie with Demi Moore? Is it called Striptease? I think it is. <laughs> that's a, when I close my eyes and I remember this night, that's exactly what it looked. It was like, <laughs> like, like she just ripped the shirt in half. Nice. It's a good visual. The brothers pulled out bills and told Ashley that if she did lap dances, they would give her money. She seductively danced for each brother with cash or grass. It was an awesome scene to be a part of. So we didn't know this part was coming. We didn't know you guys were going to be giving her money, but it makes sense, right? Well, that... Okay, so that 
that's a big deal that you didn't know that because that was our selling. That was our that was our pitch. Like we're gonna pay you to do this, and you're gonna make money. Yeah, we like, didn't. You're gonna know. get tipped too. We didn't know. Like, yeah, we de- we definitely knew. <laughs> hey, God bless Tony. I don't give a fuck. Some brothers paid for others to get lap dances as well. When she arrived, she was awkwardly dancing and ready to leave. When she loosened up, she was snatching bills and grinding on brothers like a professional stripper. Ashley made the brothers all very happy, which in turn made us successful as a pledge class. She used her itty-bitty titty committee to show all of them a good time. It went from all of the brothers being pissed at us because we did skits about their most terrible habits or traits to all of them like looking at us and giving us the thumbs up as they're getting ground upon. Yeah, you uh, you redeemed yourselves. There was a no-touching rule, but Ashley used some of the more attractive brothers' hands to slide up and down her soft silk skin. The college nerd was turning into the college porn star before our eyes. It was an amazing privilege watching a nerdy girl come out of her shell and become a whore in front of a whole fraternity. I know that sounds terrible, but it was already there. If you watch the natural progression of it within the course of a 45-minute span that all of this happened, and then, like, at the hour point... (laughs) She let her inner beast out. Exactly. It's empowering, I think, to control a group of the opposite sex, no matter what the situation is. Unless they're raping you, then that's probably not too awesome. But if this was a controlled situation, everybody was protected. I'm going to hit play now. I mean that in the most positive way possible. She looked dead sexy, throwing her long hair around while she was grinding on my brothers. Once she'd grinded against almost everyone, someone suggested she grind on us while we lay on the floor. That way, she was in complete control. It was a great ploy, and it worked well. Chippy laid himself out on the floor with a handful of bills. Ashley wasted no time grinding all over him. He may have been hooking up with the squirter, but it was obvious he wanted to make Ashley squirt that night. He kept putting dollar bills in his mouth, and she'd pick them out with hers. Someone shouted that she should use her pussy to pick it out of his mouth, but he told her not to listen to them. This book is in financial <laughs> institutions and educational institutions. I remember <laughs> this, on. dude. I, I remember this. I remember this moment. Like, this is crazy. So what is this flashback like to you? Is it so weird? It, it's because just, It's just crazy to remember something like that I forgot about. Like, you're welcome. <laughs> like just just completely have forgotten about and then like i remember i remember someone shouting something about that and then then her yeah her her squatting down and picking them bills up with her <laughs> let's with her go on. Bits. chippy's dance finished when his hands had no cash left in them after the brothers had all run out of cash and the two hours were up the real party started ashley threw her shirt back on and the tone changed from a strip club to an after party. The fun hasn't even begun yet. <laughs> now the fun for you, begins. For, for you guys, the fun hadn't begun yet. You know what? We're never having fun, though. <laughs> As will probably be demonstrated in this next one.
December 3rd, Postulant After Party The night continued in an awesome fashion. We invited over more girls, and the ratio doubled to a 2 to 1. It was a fantastic night for all of us. This was until Samantha showed up as a brother's invite. I avoided her all night because I couldn't look at a girl that was friends with such degenerates. We hadn't spoken since the day after the knife incident, but I was sure she knew what had happened with Stacy. I spent the whole night either walking to other rooms or trying to talk to my pledge brothers whenever she passed by me. Okay, so I hadn't even seen this girl again until now, and she's coming as another brother's date. And I'm just like, okay, you didn't even, like, come and talk or be like, hey, I heard you were coming to look for me as a stripper and you got into all this fucking trouble. <laughs> Nothing. Right. No, no communication. Yeah. Instead, she probably got turned by the cock block and sympathized with the people across the hallway, to which you will find out why this other part of the chapter has the word perjury in it. I was in the kitchen, talking with Knowles and Sean, when Sean told me to go get a drink for his date. I went into the barroom, and Samantha came up to me because I couldn't seek the cover of brothers or friends. She had me pinned behind the bar, and there was no escape. I tried to push by her, but she grabbed my arm. Mike, pay attention to me. Please, just let me talk to you. There have been very few moments you know those situations where you're just like, why can't one other person in this room make eye contact with me right now so they can see that I am in desperate need of I help? Need rescue. Yeah, yes. I need rescue. For the love of God, rescue me. Where I didn't want to talk to people in my life. This was one of them. Listen, I know everything that happened. I know you probably don't want to talk to me, but just hear what I have to say. Stacy said that if you drop the charges on Lee, then she'll drop the sexual harassment charges on you. Being the law major I was, I knew this was illegal. Perjury itself would be illegal for me to agree to. This in itself could have been her setting me up for another charge. I said, fuck you. I thought you and I had something going. I am so two moves ahead in chess. That's uh, a risk analyst yeah, right there. Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. How can this go not my way? Oh, they're probably setting me up. What would make me believe that they want to set me up? Oh, well, this whole situation. Okay. You're an ugly person, and you need to shave your hippie-haired pussy. I walked away from her and looked for Zeke. When I found him, I said, Zeke, that girl right there, pointing to Samantha, is the girl I tried to get to strip for the party tonight. Her friend is the one that's trying to get me my third strike on campus. She just tried tricking me into dropping the knife charge on that guy on campus, and in return, her friend will drop the sexual harassment charges on me. That is all I had to say. In the middle of a party with who Get knows how F many people, out, right? that's, that's, I mean, that's all I said to him, and his brain is just like, boop, 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 boop. Matrix just processed it instantly, and then this is the result. She's gotta go. <laughs> it's all bullshit. I want her gone. Zeke was so street smart. He didn't question anything I said. He knew it all and had heard it all. He wasn't a woman beater, but he knew some. He took one look at Claire. Yo, Claire, escort that chick out of here. Which one? Claire asked as she walked closer, putting her hand on my arm, sensing my distress. That bitch in the beanie that Strikes made the mistake of playing with. Show her the front door. 
We're trying to have a party here. We don't need anyone ruining our good time. Honestly, <laughs> that brings tears to my eyes every time because it's so funny. That bitch in the beanie that strikes them made the mistake of playing with. <laughs> it's so like him. It's so Zeke. It's like, oh man, I could repeat that until the day I die. And then I'll just like remember what he looks like. Remember how he talks. Everything about him. Hey, that's my date. A brother piped up. Then you can show your date the front door. Zeke said. Because why? Because I asked once. You can take her outside, or Claire will. Zeke said. The brother and Samantha got ready to leave. You know, honestly though, it sucks being the one that gets used, right? Because Samantha probably approached him, yeah. the unnamed brother, and was like, Hey, I heard you're having a date party. Do you need a date? And he's like, Oh, I wasn't even... Yeah, I guess, sure. And then he brings the girl... <laughs> And then he gets the girl kicked out. And he's like, why is my date getting kicked out? And they're and like, you can leave no too. And he's like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> what? No idea what's going on. Yeah. And this is why brotherhood doesn't always work out. Because sometimes these situations where you don't know that you're being used and all the other stuff explodes because you think it's a you versus the other guy thing. Until the next day or five minutes later when it gets resolved and you love each other again. <laughs> And Samantha tried talking to me again before she left. I was going to ignore her, but Claire went up to me. When Samantha walked over to say something, Claire pushed her out of the way and said, Excuse me, I have the lips of a Sig Age pledge to dominate. Claire grabbed me and started sucking on my face. I felt like the man. There was no better way. There is no better way to tell an ex to fuck off than having the new chick just be like, He's mine. Snap, snap. Yeah, well, how much clearer do I need to be that your attention isn't necessary? Yep. <laughs> Thanks for trying to perjure me tonight. Way of telling a girl to get lost, the making out with a more attractive one in front of her. Samantha left with her sig-age brother of the night. I was fine with him having my sloppy seconds. Besides, Claire was a much better catch, and a much better lay. My wife will never listen to this, so it's all Gucci, but I remember this thing that Claire could do with her pussy, and it was like, <laughs> she would just ride on the head of your dick, somehow, some way, squatting, it was in the dark, I don't, it could have even been somebody else, I don't fucking know, but it was the most incredible thing, and I've never <laughs> seen anybody else be able to do that since then, and I probably will never be able to see it again in my life. I mean, I'm sure I've gotten my wife to whatever, but, you know, this situation, this girl, unforgettable. Unforgettable. Oh, wow. They all have their tricks. Every girl's got one trick that you remember, and you're like, hmm, that's not going to be easily duplicated. No comment. The night carried on, but I couldn't get a horrible thought out of my head. My time at Radford was most likely coming to an end, all over some stupid girl's lie. I also had a big mouth, and was baited into using it. Claire took me back to her place, and we had a fantastic night screwing each other until the sun came up. By the time we were done, and I went back to my dorm, I reeked of sex, sweat, and beer. You know, back when you're 18 and you could just... Stay up all night doing drugs after being hazed for months straight and still have 
the energy to fuck a woman all night until the next day and then go back home and just be like, all right, let's go again. Ah, uh, to be young. My heart would explode <laughs> after like 30 minutes in that body. Ah, uh, to be young. The first strikes get over to our house, I would be throwing up on somebody's lawn. <laughs> Meanwhile, my Mario ghost trials running right by me. It was awesome. When I got back to the dorms, I had a shower and bragged to John. When I was done telling him everything, we went over to the fraternity house to clean up from the night before, like we always did. We worked as a two-man team, because James was working on his paddle, and Tony slept until the late afternoon. We didn't mind cleaning the house ourselves, because James and Tony had done tons of tasks by themselves too. While cleaning, we found a lot of leftover weed in a bag that had fallen behind the bar. After we were done, we went to Eric and Chippy's to smoke the weed and talk about the night before. Things like that were so amazing. Yeah. To find $60 of tree back in the day when it was, like, actually hard to get and almost impossible to get before noon. <laughs> Tell yeah. me how many drug dealers you knew back in the day that you could cop weed from. Before noon. Yes, before noon. <laughs> you wake up at 7 in the morning and you smoke all of your shit and you're like, oh, man, I got the day off today. It's going to be a shitty day. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say that all things in life are great with drugs, but all things in life are better with them. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. When we got there, Chippy told us a truly amazing story. By the time everyone was wasted the night before, Ashley had realized her crush on the Rasta man. When nobody was paying attention, Ashley and Chippy snuck out of the party. Ashley made an excuse to her friend, who stayed at the party with Sean for the rest of the night. Not a single brother or sweetheart noticed they had left. By the time Chippy got her back to their place, she was all over him. They banged like she was a porn star, and he told us he was happy with our choice in strippers. I told him it was all Tony. For <laughs> Of course, of course, he told you he was happy with your choice. Yeah, because he got to take her home and fuck her. But by the sounds of it, I mean it was a two-way street. It was it was Hershey's colliding for, with peanut butter. I think for a significant part of your pledging, I was seeing the same girl from. You were. Her name started with an L, and it was yeah. Trikai. We can talk about Trikai as much as we want because because one, they weren't official. They weren't official sorority. Yeah, and some kid in my. Our fraternity asked me recently, so like one of the young bucks was like, is that a code or is that the real one? Because they're trying to start a sorority. And I was like, well, they're fucked then because that's in a copywritten book and I've already claimed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's man. really good. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I think I think that, yeah, I, I think I dated her this entire span so far but then you guys have a breakup closer to the end of the semester because then you listen to a song named after her all day long for like a bunch <laughs> of days in a row and we're all just like oh man poor dude but I digress because we'll end up hearing about those two ladies oh my god later. 
Oh my, the song. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh. See, you so, know I'm not. You know I'm not fibbing. So I have the, such a the, great memory. The, the name wasn't her real name, just so you know. Right. It was a. It was already a nickname. So I think, yeah. 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 Okay. I know the song. Yeah, so are we allowed to say that? Are we allowed to say that? I, I mean, it was a nickname. That wasn't her real Lola. name. Lola. Yeah. Yeah, and then when you guys broke up, you listened to Lola for three or four days straight. But not, like, poor not, guy. not the Lola by the Kinks. The song was Lola Stars and Stripes. <laughs> um, and I, oh, my dude, I can't believe I had completely forgotten about this song. Yeah, man. And as soon as you said... Oh my god, I wonder like I'm looking it up on Apple Music right now just to see if it's there. Like it's uh Yeah, it was by the Stills. Lola Stars and Stripes by the Stills. How about that? Holy crap. This is the podcast for bringing people back in touch with their memories from their childhoods. So yeah, this was from the album Logic Will Break Your Heart, uh by the Stills. Uh it came out in two thousand three and it was uh the number one song on the album. It was called Lola Stars and Stripes, and I listened to that song on repeat. For days. And uh yeah, just trying hard to get over that breakup. But you guys actually broke up around this time. It was either at the end of November or beginning of December when you broke up. Because the semester ends in thirty days and you're mourning for three weeks. Yeah. It was a it was a tough time for me. Well, another couple minutes of not tough time for us yeah for once and that we owed it to him chippy broke our balls about her not being a good stripper but being a great fuck with a nice tight clean pussy he said he destroyed it and by the time she left she looked like she had ridden on a horse for a full day straight she was completely bow-legged eric confirmed the story chippy told us and said that he couldn't sleep a wink with them hooking up in the next room he couldn't hear anything except for Ashley moaning all night and Chippy's grunts. Ashley left their place around 5 a.m. The actual story was that you said you'd hear like, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but how do you write that in a book, right? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's a good thing we've got this. Additional commentary. Absolutely. <laughs> Director's comments. And ran back to campus in one of Chippy's shirts. She had to borrow one of Chippy's shirts because her shirt had been somehow lost in the chaos that was postulant theater. But now that I've heard this again, there's something about the shirt going missing that I don't believe. I think that Chippy took it and the reason I say that is because there is a story in my new book about a girl at Postulant Theater that wakes up in the morning and asks one of the brothers where her shirt is. And I feel like there might be some undercover shirt snatching going on. And <laughs> that it might just be one of the lineages of our fraternity and we might just not know about it. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Interesting. She left early enough in the morning that nobody would see her walk of shame. Everything considered, it was a great night for a lot of us, pledges and brothers alike. A great night 
minus Samantha stopping by and reminding me that I had more strikes looming. With Postulant Theater crossed off our list, we could focus on getting our paddles ready for the paddle ceremony. And that's it. The paddle ceremony. That's a fun one. Paddle ceremony is really fun. Next chapters will be pre-paddle ceremony, paddle ceremony, and tonight we done in hell. In hell. Thank you for listening. Bye.